Hi, and welcome to Reasoning Through the Bible. We are in Exodus chapter 11. And Steve, today we're going to see Moses get very serious with Pharaoh because we're down to the 10th plague, which is the death of the firstborn. And here in Exodus 11, God is announcing it. And as we pick this up, at the beginning of chapter 11, Moses is still in front of Pharaoh. He was still there from the end of the last chapter. We're we're finally to the plague that God said was going to be the one that was going to make Pharaoh let the people go. We're finally here. And with that, God's not messing around. He's, he's, this is going to be very, very serious. And we see here in chapter 11 where God is announcing this. The, the plagues that God put on Egypt, as we've seen, are systematically, methodically going through and demonstrating that the religion of Egypt is powerless and that God is the one who, who has all the power and all the glory. And up to now, Pharaoh has resisted Moses and resisted the Lord God of Israel for nine plagues. And each of them have gotten increasingly more serious. And Pharaoh hardened his heart six or seven times before God went in and strengthened his heart or or made his heart heavy and said, I'm going to use Pharaoh as a demonstration for my glory and my power. And so we're down to the last plague, the death of the firstborn. And again, at the beginning of chapter 11, Moses is still speaking before Pharaoh as, as God gives him another word. So Steve, if you could read Exodus chapter 11, the first three verses. Now the Lord said to Moses, one more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that each man ask from his neighbor and each woman from her neighbor for articles of silver and articles of gold. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So here in verse 1, God knows exactly what Pharaoh's going to do, and, and we've seen that all along. The Lord God knows what people are going to do with future free acts. Pharaoh is going to freely decide what to do, and God's knowledge is certain of the future free acts of, of Pharaoh. And so God is therefore preparing Israel for this sudden departure of the entire nation. He's preparing Israel for this sudden departure because it's it's once once Pharaoh decides to let them go, then God wants them out of there. Yeah, and we also see that that now God is actually going to get personally involved. So through the other plagues, we've seen him work through different agents. He's worked through insects. He's worked through weather and other other items. But in this particular plague, he himself personally is going to get involved to bring the people of the nation of Israel out. So look at the middle of verse 2. What are the people of Israel supposed to do? They're supposed to ask from their neighbors for gold and silver. And so what would be the end result of giving these things to Israel? Well, it's, it's God had also told them that, that whenever they come out, that they were going to plunder Egypt. And so by taking the gold and silver from the uh, the people, the population, they're going to take the wealth from it. 
They're, they're essentially going to plunder it, the wealth. Right. Israel would end up with great wealth because Egypt was a, a wealthy country. And Israel would also be repaid for all the many years of slavery that they were unjustly not paid. And so reparations, if you will. And again, they, they end up with enough wealth to be able to build the temple, which is coming up in the future. Yeah, so let me just make a side note here. So coinage didn't actually come around in a, in a wide usage for commerce and such until 625 BC, as far as governments, you know, doing coinage and stuff. And so gold and silver and people uh, keeping it. And we think today of bracelets and necklaces and things being small pieces, and there were there were that, but there were also some some larger ones there too. There was a tomb that was excavated in Egypt. And around 991 BC is when this person had had died, and they had a necklace that was there, and it weighed 42 pounds wow. of gold. So there were small trinkets, there were earrings and bracelets and things, but there were probably most likely some of these larger necklaces and things like that as well. So that's that's uh, pr- quite a bit that they were fixing to take. So things were the money system, if you will. The the things were the what you would buy and trade and and barter, if you will. And gold, of course, was valuable because it never tarnished and it was valued by, by everyone. So objects made of gold were really the trade in, in those days, at least the highest level trade. So with this, we have here that God is going to judge Egypt and Israel would come out with great wealth and great possessions which was a fulfillment of a prophecy that the Lord made all way back in Genesis fifteen fourteen, mm-hmm. which was over five hundred years earlier. And remember when he when he first met Abraham in, in Genesis fifteen, he says, "Your descendants are going to be many, but they're going to be in a land and they're going to come out with great possessions." Right. And so here is a fulfillment of that, a literal fulfillment of prophecy. Yeah. Then look at verse three. What did God do? with Israel and the Egyptians in verse 3. He gave them favor inside of the Egyptians, and not only just they the, the themselves, but also Moses, who who that's kind of ironic in that here he was, he was in Pharaoh's court, driven out, and was, was out as a, in the Midian for 40 years, and now he comes back and as the leader of the uh, Israelites, and he finally, and he finds favor again, once again, in Egypt. So when they find favor... With the people in, in, in Egypt, what does that tell us about what God is able to do with a group of people? What can we learn from that? Because it says Israel found favor in the sight of the Egyptians. What does that tell us about God? Well, it tells us that he can direct favor to people that he deems are qualified for it. Uh, as you say, it's kind of a, a repayment for the slavery and bondage. And actually, in, in the latter verses, uh, here or in chapter 12, it's mentioned that that's what it actually is, that they have payment for all of those years. But uh, we, we see there that that God uses other people in order to show favor on people people as he wa- wants to. Right. And what I see here is it says that God was the one that was in real control here. He It says in verse 3, he gave them favor in the sight of the Egyptians, gave them favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So I see that as telling some things about the Lord, that the Lord has sovereign control over some things, and that he has the power to do so. 
doesn't mean he always does, right? but he has the power to do so. He can accomplish his will through the free acts of human beings. And remember, his will was 500 years earlier, back in Genesis 15, 14, uh, that this was going to happen. And here is his way of doing it. So God can control the perceptions of people. He has that power. He has the ability to accomplish his will through free acts of human beings. We see that periodically in the scriptures where God accomplishes his plan and his will, but the people are the ones that decide to do it. And I see no issue with that personally, simply because God created the world. He gave us life. He has the right and the authority to do with that life as, as he wills. And he can, he gave life. He can take it back. He gave Egypt things. He blessed them with these material blessings. He can cause them to like the, the um, Israelites and, and give them some of the things that he, that he had given the Egyptians. And so I see this as a reflection on the glory of God. Yes. And, and also, you got to think the people of the the Egyptian people, they have gone through all nine of these these plagues. Their land has been destroyed. Their gods that they worship have been shown to be not effective against the the God of Israel, the one true God. And so you can see how when the when the Israelites leave, <laughs> they want to pay homage, so to speak, to their God and are giving them things in regards to it. So as you said, God is showing favor sovereignly, but he's using the people of Egypt in order as a way to be able to do that. Their free will of giving to them as they go out. So again, look at verse 3. God gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. And what I see from that, one of the things I remember is back at, in, the, in chapter 1, it says there that the Egyptians loathed the Israelites the Jewish people. right? And so here, God is causing a good thing. And the other thing I I think of, Steve, is that human nature is a bent towards sin. Human nature is a bent towards sin. And so we always end up, when, when we want to choose things, we end up choosing sin. So here we have God doing a good thing, which is causing these people to like the, the people of, of Israel so that his will can be accomplished and so that they can be repaid for the slavery. So I see this as a as a good thing. Uh, many people today loathe God. They loathe God. They loathe the people of God and everything that God stands for. And uh, there's going to come a day when, just like the Egyptians, people are going to see the power and majesty of God. Right. So just like way back then, God's going to move here in chapter 11 and 12 and 13, and he's going to cause some things like we just saw there. But we're going to see that today. There's people today that just like the the Egyptians started out loathing the Jewish people, and here God causes them to view them with favor, to give blessings to his people, then that's going to happen. There's people today that loathe Christians, and there will come a day when God's going to act. And uh, they might not want to see that, but nevertheless, it'll happen. <laughs> and we should pray that the people around us recognize God before it's too late. Oh, yes. Before it's too late. Yes. And so the next one is starting in verse 4 and going through verse 10. And so I'll read that. Here we have, again, Moses is still before Pharaoh. And so let's read starting in verse 4. Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I am going out into the midst of Egypt, 
and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before, and such as never will be again. But against any of the sons of Israel a dog will not even bark, whether against man or beast, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these your servants will come down to me and bow themselves before me, saying, Go out, you and the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh. Yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go out of his land. And so, uh, very dramatic language here, Steve. Yeah. And so, what do we see in verse 4 about when this last plague is going to occur? Midnight. So, so uh, other ones he had said that he were going to he were going to bring about tomorrow, the next day. This one is going to start specifically at midnight, at the very beginning of the next day at midnight. So he says at midnight, God again predicts the time and the date of when the plague is going to come. Yeah, and uh, and and at midnight is interesting because in the pagan Egyptian religion, the sun was worshipped, of course. And so once the sun goes down, the sun god was not there to fight the night forces, right? The beast of the underworld that would come out at night. And so God is showing that, one, he is in control of whether it's in the day or the night. He, he is the one that's in control. And it also shows that uh, he can predict when these things are going to occur. And I always think of this one, God doesn't sleep. He, it's midnight, but he, he's still there. He, he's not asleep. And, and Psalm 121.4 says, God will never slumber nor sleep. Remember, God had previously predicted that when the other plagues would occur and when they would stop. And so here he is saying, this is going to happen about midnight. And even now, do you think, Steve, at this point, even now, do you think if Pharaoh would have truly repented and fallen on his face before God, that it's not too late? Yes, uh, we have examples of that. The people of Nineveh is, is a prime example of that, of where God sent Jonah to them and to tell them to repent or else they were going to be destroyed. And so they did repent and they weren't destroyed. And there are other examples as well. So, yeah, we, we throughout Scripture, we have uh, that depiction of God, of one who repents and yields themselves to God, uh, then they won't be destroyed. And so then look at verse 5. The plague, of course, is going to be what exactly? The killing of the firstborn across all of the people and the cattle as well. And so it's not just, this doesn't mean just the children firstborn. It means the firstborn period. So if you were an adult and you were a firstborn of a family, you were going to be affected by this. So you had all different types of age groups. 80s, 50s, 40s, 30s, teens, children, babies, right. all the way across the, the whole gamut, the firstborn. And it's kind of curious in that 
the Pharaoh that they have figured out the the Pharaoh that's that that this particular Pharaoh matches up historically, he was not the firstborn. He was the secondborn of the previous Pharaoh, uh, and his successor was not his firstborn. His firstborn died mysteriously, and his successor happened to be his secondborn child. So isn't that kind of curious? Uh, kind of curious, <laughs> almost as if God uh, was in real, actually in control here. So th- this plague, killing of the firstborn, Yeah, I-, I think of a couple of things. One is most cultures, the firstborn was considered special. The firstborn would be the inheritance of the father. The firstborn would get a special blessing at the time of the father's demise because they would get a little more of the inheritance. And so that's one. It's just most cultures praise the firstborn. And then another is that, especially in Egypt, the firstborn was dedicated to the gods. The firstborn was one that would be dedicated to some of the Egyptian gods, and especially Pharaoh's son, because Pharaoh was viewed as a god, the god, then his son was supposed to be the next incarnation of this Egyptian god. And so there's once again this attack, if you will, this demonstration of power that the true God, Yahweh of Israel, is the one who's really in charge here, not the gods of Egypt. Yeah, it's a direct, it's a direct confrontation. It's, it's a direct confrontation to everything that they believed and worshipped. And in verse 6, it says there, Moreover, there shall be a great cry in the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before and shall never be again. So this was going to be the worst thing that has ever happened, this this great cry, yeah. this great scream of anguish that's going to happen. It's you, going to be so bad. You could describe it as a wailing, a right. wailing that was going to be happening throughout the land. And so here's a question, Steve, discussion question. Since the decision of letting Israel go was entirely on Pharaoh, mm-hmm. Is it fair, another one of these, is it fair of God question, (laughs) is it fair that God causes all this death on people and animals that have no control over the decision? Is it fair? Can we look at God and say, God, you're not fair? Well, every time we get those type of questions, we're always basing the the fairness off of our our standard. And, And God's standard, as we've brought out before, is he is creator of everything. He can do whatever he wants to. He gives and he takes away. And he has given Pharaoh many, many chances. This isn't the last chance. He could have started with this because he, at the beginning he says it's going to take the loss of his firstborn in order to, to for him to relinquish and let them go. So he could have started with this particular punishment, judgment, but he didn't. He right. went through nine other judgments. So when you look at it in the context of Pharaoh being able to yield, Prior to this point, yes, it's a, a fair judgment. It's a judgment that is a, one that God had given plenty of chances for it not to have it had needed to occur. We, we cannot hold the creator of the universe to the same standards that we hold each other simply because he, he gives life and we don't. He has control to give life. We don't. He has control to take life, and we don't. We, at least we don't have the authority to do it unless he gives it to us like in a capital punishment thing. But 
we can't create life. We can't create a world. We can't create beings and put them in a world. Uh, and he can. So he is sovereign over the universe. And if he wants to move things around, then he can. And just because they cause a physical death here doesn't mean it's an eternal death. People that would actually believe in the Lord would be moved to a better place. And so if God wants to sovereignly move them, and then he can. And also, Steve, what does the Bible tell us about the condition of every human? What does it tell us in Romans 3.23? What happens to all people? Well, I said Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Right. right. So, so I mean, the, there's a, a natural bent of humans to be opposed to God. And so look at what's happened here. God gave demonstration after demonstration. There had been miraculous professions. There had been harmless ones with the, the, the snake and the stick. And then nine plagues up to this point where people could have clearly seen what happened. And God had the right even before all of that because all had sinned. And God has the right to say, okay, you've sinned against me. Therefore, I'm, I'm going to judge you. He is the one that is holy and pure and good, and we are not. We are the one that committed the crime against him. And so he has the right, but he graciously gave them nine plagues, very clear demonstrations of his righteous power, and people that don't believe, he has all the right and all the authority to leave them there or not, but he will judge. And, and here's another fairness question. Was it fair for uh, for Pharaoh to refuse and be stubborn to the point that he brought it to this point uh, for this to be to happen? Was it fair that he kept on thumbing his nose at God and he kept on resisting God? And and the last two plagues, even his servants had come to him. For at at one point, his uh, magician said, "Hey, this is this is a a different god. This is not this is we can't equal, equal this." And he didn't listen to them. Then in these last two plagues, his servants came to him and said, what are you doing? How much longer are you going to allow this to, oppression to be on us in regards to let these people go? And he wouldn't do it. So the other fairness question is, is it fair of, of Pharaoh to continue being this way and treating his people this way by, by continuing to be stubborn and obstinate towards God that brings it to this point? You know, God allowed Egypt to put Israel in bondage for hundreds of years and did not move and did not act. Was that fair? And then when he does go in and move and does it step by step to try to get them to, of their own accord, to let Israel go, and they don't. And so I submit that people that come up with these criticisms, it's not fair of God to kill all the firstborn. Well, they're wanting to put God into a paradox. Because when he doesn't act and allows people to sin against other people, they say, well, where's God? Why right. is he not stopping evil? That's right. But then when he goes in and gradually tries to stop evil and, and they don't, and now he finally gets their attention, they're criticizing that too. And so the people that want to criticize the fairness of God will never be satisfied. They'll never be satisfied, because when he doesn't act, they criticize, and when he does act, they criticize. Now, with this, look down at, at verse 9. 
if we look at verse 9, one of the reasons that God used Pharaoh was what? Was to demonstrate his power and his superiority to all the other gods in the universe. That's what it's saying here in, in verse 9. Now, the Egyptian god Isis was supposed to protect children. Right. The Lord is showing Isis to be impotent. So again, all of these plagues were demonstrating his true power against the false gods of, of Egypt. And in, since God is actually sovereign and powerful and majestic, it is right that he can reveal his power on earth. And further, just because they don't share Pharaoh's ability to decide does not mean that they're innocent. Again, we talked about that. So, yeah, well, and then the second part, I'm sure you're going to get to the second part of that is, is that he protects Israel. And, and even to the point that not even a dog was going to bark where the Israelites were in order to show how much control God has in it. So again, as we see this and we see it develop, the, the Egyptians are going to be affected, but the Israelites are not. So in verse 7, when it says not even a dog will bark, then I, I see two things there that we could apply. One is that, again, going to happen in the middle of the night, which me and when you know, if, if there's something sneaking around outside, middle of the night, the dogs bark. Right. I mean, that's, that's what they're for, is for, for guarding the home. And so this tells us that the death is not going to be caused by a robber or a murderer sneaking into the homes doing this because the dog's not going to bark. Secondly, a dog was viewed in the Egyptian religion. There was a dog that would eat the heart of people that had the heavy hearts after death. It was part of the salvation. It was viewed as, as evil. Mm -hmm. And so the, in, in the Egyptian artwork that described their afterlife, the dog's always there ready and waiting to eat the heart of the, of the condemned person. And so when the dog doesn't bark, that means God's in control of Egypt's afterlife. And so at the end, also look at verse 8. What are the people of Egypt going to be doing with the people of Israel? They're going to be saying, all come down and saying, go out, you and all the people who follow you, right? And after that, they'll go out. So in other words, all the people are going to, it's, it's not going to just be Pharaoh. It's going to be the people themselves that are going to say, these people need to get out. You know, their God is greater and, and God, their God is showing favor to them over us. Enough is enough. They need to go. Right. And so with that, it's the end of chapter 11. And there's a whole lot in 12. So we might ought to wait that for uh, the next time. Okay, so we'll end there for today. But we beg you to come back next time because in chapter 12, we're going into a lot of the Passover instructions. And the Passover instructions are where we make the parallels with our Lord Jesus Christ and his death. And so there'll be a lot there to reason through. And we hope that you'll be back with us as well. Thank you for watching and listening, and may God bless you.